Hi, and welcome to Spartan Speak, a production of the Lansing State Journal, Detroit Free Press, and USA Today Network. I am Graham Couch, the Lansing State Journal, alongside my colleague Chris Solari from the Detroit Free Press. And uh, there's nothing really to talk about, Chris, so we're just going to call it a call it a show and and, and move on. So I, I think all the only topics that matter today are South Dakota sports, Western Michigan sports, and uh, English Premier League soccer. That's that's our podcast topics today, right? If we do a, if we do anything Michigan State, we should do a, a July style Mount Rushmore ranking of of Michigan State point guards. Maybe best numbers by the numbers. Who wore it best? Is is Cody Tucker would say? Yeah, um, from from back in the day. It's a it's a pretty you know normal easy <laughs> October. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, so we are obviously going to talk uh, about what's happening uh, with Michigan State football with. The Michigan football program um, and the uh, sign-stealing, cheating scandal, allegations, uh, saga, whatever you want to label that. Bombshells. Yeah, because I think it is a big deal, and it, it does it does pertain to MSU. And, and look, if MSU fans want to talk about that, then Spartan Speak is the place for it, right? Um, but first, before we get to football, uh, Michigan State basketball played a uh, an exhibition game on Wednesday night, we were recording this on Thursday morning. So, um, you know, if, if, if Jim Harbaugh is, is is fired by noon on Thursday, uh, forgive us. Um, we were not aware when we led with the uh, with the basketball. But I think people's, you know, it was interesting. Chris last night uh, or uh, Wednesday night at the at Breslin, it really felt like this cathartic um, environment where. Um, it kind of became a little bit of a celebration and, and a party. People were, you could tell people were just happy for positive vibes, and there's a lot of them around basketball, and you could really hear it when um, the four freshmen checked in with 16, 13 to go in the first half. Yeah, three of them checked in. Um, Didn't Garrett, all four check at that no, point? No, Garrick Norman was uh, off the bench. That's right, that's right. Um, which, you know, that that I think was one of the things that was pretty noticeable it was a very strong reaction and, and you know, look, there was about 10,000 or so people there and I'm sure the people that were there, many of them saw those freshmen over the course of Moneyball, but seeing them in a competitive environment together, um, I thought Hillsdale look, gave them a little bit of fits in terms of being undersized and quicker. Um, I think Tom Izzo said how well they were in the right spots and doing the right things. I mean, manpower wise, it was an overwhelming performance for Michigan State, but they they got working, and there was I thought a number of interesting things, starting with that line change that he had when he went when he subbed out the starting five and went to the second five, and. We've seen little glimpses of practice here over the course of the last month, and they've been running those two units quite a bit, and you know, and and it's been competitive. Watching as much as the players and Tom Izzo talked about being sick of playing against each other, it, it's been interesting watching them compete against each other because they've got a lot of talent. So you know, the ones on the twos is a, is a heck of a matchup. So seeing him shift like that and going with a, a hockey line change, uh, I thought was interesting. But then in the second half, he went to more of a traditional substitution pattern and said that's the plan is the, to maintain that. The, 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 
normal substitution. And it's going to take some time to develop a rotation, I think, but he's got a lot of pieces. Yeah, and, and he said afterwards, obviously, he's not going to do the line change thing once the real games begin, but it was a good way to sort of bring uh, you know three of those guys in. And um, I was worried when I, when I just said that all four came in that I actually wrote that. I did not. It's good. As time's getting away from the – in the game, I'm just misremembering, um, uh, misremembering it. But the, um, yeah, no, I, I it, it was interesting to see, because these games, first of all, Hillsdale is what Hillsdale is, right? And um, they, it's just it's a Division two team that is is um, you know undersized. They, they they may have some guys who physically can give you some problems. But part of the reason they give you some issues is because they got such a low center of gravity. They're short, and they're you know it's just it's a different deal for a lot of yeah. the big guys. And, and quick, quicker. You know, a lot, a lot of times hands are quicker and they're a little further yeah. down. We used to see this in, in, in when I covered junior college basketball way back in the day. You think I talk about? Uh, you think I talk about Kalamazoo and, and Western Michigan a lot? My days covering Highland Community College uh, back in the day, and like, uh, but I remember watching big guys uh, who were Division One big guys, Aaron Spears, who came from Illinois and wound up at St. John's, would was was a terrific big man. It was like six ten. But he would be against sometimes a guy who was six foot four and just hated it because this yeah. guy was swatting at him low. It just they were awkward games sometimes for 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 big guys, and that happens in these in these sort of games. What was interesting, a couple of the freshmen, uh, Cohen Carr specifically, last night talked about how um, just that how important this was in terms of getting your feet wet and getting some of the nervous energy out. And you don't think about that because these guys have been playing it. it at Moneyball, they've been playing at Midnight Madness. They've been played at a scrimmage last last Saturday, and yet still, when th- this was more, you know, this is obviously a game setting. Even if it's an exhibition, you hear your name called as you check in. You're wearing the uniform. It, he said it's just different, and to actually play a game, he thought was really important. And and obviously, they they get another chance to do one of these Sunday against Tennessee, you know, a much more formidable uh, opponent who's of similar ranking, but. Um, you know, and, and that won't count either. But still, the, the, these sort of games do, I think, serve a purpose. And it's why Izzo, in years where they don't even do this this Maui fundraiser deal with Tennessee, they want to do one game that is like a true test of a uh, you know of a scrimmage against a, a good Division One program. But one of these games as well, because the game in front of people in a game setting, I think, has value. Yeah, and I thought Jeremy Fears in particular was the one guy who really, I mean, they played a six-minute segment. That that second unit, um, the only guys that subbed in and out were Norman Carr and uh, Booker. They Izzo kind of rotated those guys together. But Jeremy Fears played six minutes in that first stint, and he had hands on the hips. He was winded, and he talked about it afterward, how he was so amplified. And he did not anticipate that taking that much out of him, the emotions of it. And I think he saw that at times with some of the turnovers he had. He had four of their 11 turnovers and sometimes maybe trying to do a little too much. Um, I thought as a group, being such a ball-sharing team, there were a couple times where they made – they tried to force the extra pass rather than – taking a bucket but it, but but fears i mean you know that was that was to me clear that it was the moment like of the reality of hey wow this is college basketball i mean a six minute segment in a very competitive game 
is a pretty long stretch, especially for the demands that Tom Izzo has for his players on both ends of the court. It's not like they're playing zone to kind of rest at the other end. No, they're going at it. And what's interesting, too, is that, you know, I, well, I don't think it was supposed to be a six-minute segment. I think it was one of those games, too, where, like, for two minutes the clock didn't stop. Yeah. So, you know, those guys, the guys were just sitting at the scores table waiting to, to come back in. But you're right. You could see you could see fears, especially that last couple possessions. And, and um, you know, that's – I think that's – it's healthy for those guys to recognize that, that because they're not going to play. I mean, Jeremy Fears, as good as he is, is not going to play many six-minute segments this no, season. No, no. He's going to come in and he's going to play three, four minutes at a time, and he's going he's gonna to go out and he's he's going to play a lot. You can see it. I mean, he's just he's got such a presence to him on the court. He's got uh, he plays both ways hard. He you know he he sees the floor. He's going to help their break in a lot of ways. But the veteran guys are the veteran guys. They're 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 there. They're going to play the, the, a lot of the crunch time minutes. It'll be interesting to see at some point. Whether he forces himself into that group, he's clearly the most ready of that group. Um, I, I would say Cohen Carr is is very clearly next, um, and he didn't rebound and talked about that a little bit as well as he needs to. But had a couple electrifying dunks. He'll be a player that entertains all year if he if he rebounds and defends. He'll be out there. I thought what was interesting about Cohen Carr, Chris, was, and and I asked him about this afterwards. You know, he played. A fair bit of four, too. He played yeah. three and four. And some of that, you go, well, they're playing a smaller team. And I asked him, and he said, well, no, no, I've been really working at that. They brought me in here to play multiple positions. That's one of the reasons they recruited me. And you start to think about the roster and the lineups and the need for Cohen Carr at the four. And and there is potentially that. Number one, I don't think they trust Xavier Booker in key minutes yet. Um, and so it's not, you know, if, if Booker is a more effective four, or sorry, if Carr is a more effective four than Booker, especially in certain matchups, you know, you, you'll probably see him out there in place of uh, Malik Hall rather than rather than Booker. And then at this point, now that Jackson Kohler is out, you are foul trouble or an injury away from Xavier Booker being needed at the center position. Some, yeah. Um, and so you, you're going to need you're going to need another four man. And and so for all the depth they have, this is part of the versatility that creates their depth. You see Cohen Carr at the four, and you start to see where these minutes could come from. Malik Hall is clearly the starter at the four, but the the Cohen Carr's minutes are going to come from backing up the three, backing up the four, and it, it, you know, and there could be plenty for him. Yeah, and I think Malik Hall too. I mean, Tom Izzo wanted more from him, but I think everybody kind of forgets that this dude had off season surgery. You know, because the last we saw him, he was plugging his way through the end of the season, and I thought he looked better. I, I thought physically he looked better and a little more laterally quick than he did at the end of the season. So that's important. I mean, the, the Hall's foot is going to be critical. I mean, they need a healthy Millie call the, the full year um, because then you need the veteran presence, and he was in the positions that he needed to be in. And you you, you, remember, you forget that pre-injury he was a guy that could do multiple things. Um, so Carr kind of can be that kind of guy too, where he, if he can play some minutes at the three, play some minutes at the four. I thought it was interesting with Carr that of all the things that we saw in the summer and that has been buzzed about, his first bucket was coming out of the corner and a leaner on a spin move through traffic. It wasn't a dunk. And he had a couple of those in-traffic finishes that weren't, necessarily at the rim so that's a that's a big step because everybody looks at Cohen Carr I think right now as a guy that it wants to dunk every single thing and the ability to show that 
hey, I'm a basketball player. I'm not just a dunker. I thought was maybe one of the the quiet little hidden things in that game. He finished at the rim. Don't get me wrong. I mean, he had the one dunk. I mean, that, I thought it was interesting. He had he makes his first bucket, then plays defense at the other end and gets a steal and a run out dunk right after that little leaner. So, um, kind of one of those little lessons that if you do the little things, you get rewarded with the big dunks. Yeah, you know, it, it's interesting. You bring up Malik Carr. Um, no, sorry, uh, Malik, Malik Hall. Hall. That's going to be a pain. I'm going to keep getting that wrong for a little while until football season ends. I'm still working on the Jaron and Jaden Mangum thing, so yeah, yeah. I get it. No, it's, no, when they showed Joey Hauser and I on the Jumbotron last night, and I had to uh, spell it differently than Kate, and I was like, okay, this let's not go back and forth the two <laughs> spellings of Hauser. I don't, I don't need that here. Um, but yeah, I mean Malik Hall, right, is the guy who hasn't even stayed healthy. So you talk about needs for um, Cohen Carr at the four, but Malik Hall, and I, I wrote this when he decided to come back. I think Malik Hall coming back was more important than Tyson Walker coming back, yeah. and it's not because he's a better player than Tyson Walker. Tyson Walker is a wonderful, a wonderful college basketball player. Not he had thirteen points, and it was really kind of an off night for him. But he didn't really need to do much. I thought seven rebounds for Tyson Walker was in, was was interesting. Yeah, we know what he is. He's an all conference caliber player. He's, he he can he can elevate you on a given night. The the thirty points if need be, he can. Play at the backup point guard. You know he, he can um, he can do a lot. He can he can he can carry you offensively, create his own shot. Incredibly important player. However, on this particular MSU roster, where you have a guy like AJ Hogard, who uh, you know downhill in a phone booth is is a, is a, is a terrific creator, and I think is going to yeah. have a very good year. Where you have uh, a, um, Jay Nakins, who's looking to have a, a big year and wants to be more involved, where you have Jeremy Fears coming off the bench, and Trey Holloman had a terrific game last night and showed he is not going to be pushed out of the rotation. Yeah. He is he is a guy who just adapts. He he adapts to uh, you know last year he understood I don't make mistakes. I will have a role as a backup point guard in a lot of games, and this year he understands if I play off the ball really well next to Jeremy Fears, I'm going to have a role on this team, and he's and he's. Doing that, I mean, he's, he had some other roles, but that that seems to be his role. But Hall is a guy who, because of the the makeup of the rest of the front court, inexperience and guys who are still finding their way or aren't aren't that versatile players. He and he is a guy who just he needs to be healthy for this Michigan State team. If he goes down, that greatly lowers their ceiling. And I also think that's something to be wary of if you're Michigan State throughout the year. Is just not to play that guy thirty-two minutes a game, you know. You you want you want him, uh, you know, almost like an NBA season. You want to make sure he's healthy at the Definitely end. Definitely not in November and December, right? You don't right. want to do that. Um, you know, like I said, I thought he he looked better than he did at the end of the year, and you could tell at the end of the year that he was playing through stuff. I mean, you know, I don't think he gets enough credit for that Sweet Sixteen run because I don't know if they make it there without him yeah. and he gutted through you know obviously you know a couple weeks after the season has the surgery to kind of get back now but you know kind of touching I, I thought Holloman and, and Carson Cooper were by far the two Terrific. two kind of standout guys in that game and, and I think Cooper's interesting too because when they brought in that second unit Cooper was playing some at the four and it was Cooper at the four and Booker at the five or vice versa. I mean, you can f- flip-flop them. 
Um, the one thing I do think about Booker and his ability to maybe be a little more for um, his ability to step out. Uh, and you saw that him he hit two threes and and hit and took another one in rhythm. And, you know, the first thing I do whenever I see a big man step out to shoot is I look down at the bench to see what the reaction of the bench is. And there was no reaction. And I thought that tells me that Tom Izzo has given Booker the green light, which I, I thought was was interesting. But Cooper, Cooper in the post, um, and maybe it was the opponent, I don't know, but, you know, his his drop step looks really quick. His spin moves were good. Um, things that we didn't see last year. When I talked to him after the game, he said that I need to be more aggressive. I want to be more of a, a force on offense. I, I basically he doesn't, you know, he's no longer going to defer because he's not a freshman, which I thought was a mature thing, you know. And he's going to challenge Mati Sissoko, I think, and that's going to be an interesting blend for Izzo, trying to figure out the ways to mix and match the offense and defensive capabilities of this team. Because when you've got Sissoko in there, he his strength obviously is protecting the rim, guarding the pick and roll, all those things around the basket that we saw last year. Um, if Cooper can be more of an offensive presence, that helps the second unit. Because um, you don't necessarily need with, with – all the oxygen that, that Walker, Aikens, and Hogart are going to take up, you need more of a, a defensive guy. You need the Halls and Sissokos with them. But the other guys, you know, the Hollomans, you know, I mean, the, the Fears, the guys that maybe aren't as polished yet at the collegiate level offensively, if you can get something out of the paint with Cooper, that, that alleviates some things. So I think it's going to be interesting to see how he blends these guys together in – which units or which bursts or the you know the pairings whether it's two come in two go out I, I, that it's going to be a work in progress and it's going to be something that I think will build up towards that Duke game. Yeah, and, and you know well, I was trying to debate to write about some of Cooper last night in the in the quick takes and uh, part out of my own uh, just survival mode and, and trying to get things done. I, I didn't want to dive into it too much, but partly because they're playing a smaller team. But you're right, he was. Um, he was really, really good, and 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 I've sort of, if I've had to, sort of pick one guy that I think, you know, I've said before that I think Cooper is, um, one of the best NBA prospects on the team, you know, in terms of ceiling, because he does have NBA size. He's a good athlete. He's got good hands. He's got some natural things going for him. I just think he passes Sissoko at some point. Now, how they do that with the lineup, and you don't really have, you know, you talk about second units, but that, it's not quite like the NBA. You don't have quite as, it, it, it's it's not, it, it, I don't know even if he comes off the bench, if it'll, it'll be done in that way entirely. But you, you're, right, you're right in the sense that he does help the younger players. Like, I think in some ways, Fears is better off with Cooper in there. Um, the problem for Michigan State may become, there gets to a point where, so are AJ Hogard and Tyson Walker and Jaden Akins. They're better off having Cooper in there too, and it'll be very interesting to see to watch him him grow and 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 you know Sissoko you know put on a a, um, a lot of muscle in the off season to be able to deal with big guys. And what I really want to see from those two guys is and and um, is you know against Tennessee against Duke 
as they start to play sizable competition, who holds up and how they hold up and what they look like against different dudes. And I think that's really um, going to be a question. But I, I think that I think what Cooper did last night, Chris, is really, really promising for that position. Oh, for sure. And, you know, uh, defensively, I think that he's a guy that, you know, when you get into those settings, we saw last year that he, he's got a, a good chance to to kind of do a lot of the things that they need in terms of the pick and roll and everything else. So I, I, I liked his game. I, I thought Holloman too. I mean, you know, w- you kind of touched on him a bit ago, but he was playing some one. He was playing some two. He did a lot of different little things. And, and you're right. He's he's scrappy. He he and, and Tom Izzo said that afterward. He said he's right now my probably my most consistent guy at both ends of the court, which tells you something. I mean, there's a lot to like in Trey Holloman. I think those two guys with Cooper and Holloman, because of the freshman class and and the star rankings and the history that they've had, and because of the the veterans that are coming back, those two guys kind of get lost in the shuffle a little bit. But that's a pretty solid little two-band class right there. I, I just think that, you know, the, the other thing we should I wanted to mention, too, is one other thing I saw that I saw briefly and I didn't ask about, but I'm curious to watch, is in the second half, there were a couple moments where they put Jaden Aiken out with the ball sort of top of the key, running the show a little bit to create with – yeah. Walker and I believe Hogard in there, at least two other point guards in there. It, it, it's funny you mentioned that because I I made note mental note of that too. And they had Aikens up top with the ball and were running Walker and Hogard off from the yeah. from the blocks out, which was an interesting way to do it. And this is a way. I mean, so when Jaden Aikens decides to come back, part of the deal is we're going to put the ball in your hands more. You're not just going to be this three and D guy. You're not just going to be standing on the wing, catch and shoot or catch and drive, right? You're going to, we're going to involve you in the creating more because that's frankly what uh, NBA teams need to see from him and right. told him, you know? And so like that, and that's it. If he was two inches taller, Jaden Akins would be in the NBA now as a, as a potential three and D guy. And, and that he'd have a certain career at six, four, he's going to have to be a guy that creates a little bit. And, um, so that's something that was part of the deal. And, and so you saw them start to do that. And then right after it, he didn't do something correctly. And Izzo was, you know, getting into him a little bit, but I think that's interesting. That you saw them go to that and I'll be curious to see how much they go to it. And, and, you know, it's one of the dynamics that Izzo has to, um, navigate this year in that staff, because, you know, there are a lot of players in, and and I think some of that will work itself out and, you know, you got to figure out rotations and playing time, but you also have dynamics within the team that, that, you know, are not as important as winning and losing, but it, if, if you've told a guy you're going to use him in a certain way or try to, you need to, you need to follow through on that. That's a big part of recruiting. That's a big part of getting guys to stick around. Um, and I, and I think, so that will be, that will be interesting to watch. Yeah. I think it's something he's always done too. He's yeah. been very good about that as a coach. People don't give him enough credit for that. To his detriment occasionally in one case, though, that I remember, and that was Miles Bridges playing the wing yeah, and putting the ball in his hands because he was not – at a year <laughs> that Cassius Winston was statistically the most efficient player in college basketball, uh, they put the ball in Miles Bridges' hands and they underachieved even though they won 30 games when he was a sophomore because, you know, Miles came back, they were going to play him on the wing – and I know they had a lot of big guys, but Miles at the college level at that stage was a better four man than he was three man, 
and Cassius Winston was already the guy who should have the ball. And so they, you know, navigating all that is important. But you forget that was earlier in the season. And as we got towards March and and February, in, even in, you know, late January, early February, Bridges started playing more four and the ball yeah. started going away from him a little bit more. So he still understands true. the the longer picture. And Aikens Aikens has been a point guard in his life. Like he's a better ball handler right. and creator than than Bridges ever was. I'm not saying those are apples to apples. I'm just saying like sort of doing things because you you think this is what it this is what's important to an NBA guy's future. I remember you want a you want a, a drinking game Kalamazoo style reference for those who are the deep dive listeners. I remember watching Ron Banks at Lansing Sexton High School Ooh. in 1995 96. And one of the reasons that team underachieved so badly for a long time, maybe it was his junior year, is because they thought, well, this guy's going to be a wing in college. He's 6'5", 225. Man, that guy, when he was your point guard or your power forward center, was dominant at the high school game. When he was standing there on the wing, you could get beat. And like it took them half the year to figure that out. And, and it wasn't like they weren't going to recruit him at the D1 level. So anyway... Deep. That's for the deep cut. Um, and uh, you know, if you know my love for Ron Banks and, and that era of Lansing Sexton basketball, you've uh, you've uh, yeah. you can take a drink. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Ron Banks, David Cool. I mean, you <laughs> well, know, Banks is different. Banks is different. Like Brandon Sowards. These are all no, no. podcast favorites here. You got to Yes, true. But, but but Banks, John Elway, Barry Sanders are like on the. You know, they're, they're, <laughs> those are all one. Those are all a uh, one in the uh, the pantheon of. Of, of posters on the wall or posters in my heart, so to speak. <laughs> you know, what's funny though, is, um, you know, kind of along those lines, like as much as you talk about those guys, Tom Izzo talks about Jaden Aikens rebounding. And I thought it was interesting in the, the second half when he started to go towards the traditional pattern, um, he called two early timeouts to get into Jaden Aikens to rebound. And yeah. to get into some of those guys. And and Aikens had six rebounds and I thought there were points where you just saw him attacking the glass, but he got to be he had to be coaxed into it a little bit. Um but thirteen rebounds well, she's you know, thirteen, seventeen rebounds between Walker, Aikens, and Hogarth in that game. I mean, yeah, you're playing against smaller division two guards, but that shows a willingness to go at it. But I also thought and it was this one was plain as day right out of the the gate after the opening tip and Walker hits a couple free throws they came out and pressed and they they put they applied and press isn't probably the right word they applied full court pressure on the ball yes yeah um which is you know I that jumped out and I asked Izzo about that and he says that's kind of the plan this year to put more pressure on the ball baseline to baseline which you know is a guy who you know our high school ethos was baseline to baseline 32 minutes full court press um i love seeing that because you maximize your strength and their strength is with the guards and their depth is with the guards and you can run wave after wave with walker akins hogard fears holloman um those guys can can put some pressure out there yeah, you ought to have constant pressure on the ball. Whether it's, I mean, it doesn't have to be the full court stuff, but your guys ought to be in there. There ought to be, you know, it. That is the advantage they're going to have is they they can truly, uh, you know, it is not a, a no plays off sort of deal. Well, then talking to Aikens, I mean, you know, Izzo said they want to do it, and Aikens kind of he said what we do if when we do that is we minimize the opponent's ability within the shot clock to get set. Yeah, and that I mean that's you know 
I don't know if they've had the depth to be able to do that. Not at this quality. Not yeah. at this quality. I mean, because I do think he's, I mean, Walker's an elite defender. Hogard's yep. an above average to. Oh, he's really good. He's a he's a great defender when, he, when he's dialed in. Yeah. Let me, let me rephrase that. He's excellent to elite. He's got a chance. Aiken's excellent to elite. Um, Holloman. Uh, Holloman's really good. Above yeah. average to yeah. really good and good. probably yep. going to progress beyond that. Um, where fear, fears will be too. I mean, you know, did, yeah. but that's, I mean, that's, that's a lot of depth. And, you know, we talked about Aikens running some point, but you got five guys right there. All, th- all five of those guys have the ability to run the point. They're, they're all willing and wanting defenders and understand that's their, yeah. And, and yeah, you can, it's such a distance from a couple years ago when it was Cassius Winston and who else do we have? You know, I mean, you yeah. remember the point where they were they were struggling to find a point guard. You know, even after Winston left in that pandemic year with Foster Lawyer and a young Hogard who I think physically has redefined his body from where he was in 2020 to now, um, they struggled to find that point guard option at that point. That's why he went out and got Walker from the portal. And they now he's got, I mean, he he loves Jeremy Fears. I mean, the Mateen Cleves comparison was there again when he saw Fears kind of being a little bit out of breath. He said Mateen used to do that too. He'd get so so worked up and be so tired in the first couple of minutes. So like, that tells you something that he he believes that Jeremy Fears has that capability in him. But man, I mean, when you've got that much depth at point guard and you as a coach are a former point guard who puts so much emphasis and demands on your point guard. I mean, it has to be just like a, you know, maybe the best feeling Izzo's had. He's never had this many ball handlers that could run a point like that. And what's create what's interesting is you know Izzo may lament the the COVID year at times. He may lament NIL, but what has created this year and this team in a lot of ways is. The COVID year that created the extra year for a couple of guys. Yeah. And NIL, that, look, if it wasn't for NIL, I'm telling you right now, Tyson Walker's in Europe. So, you yeah. know, that, it, it, and, and, uh, maybe Hogard left too. Who knows? Yeah. So, I mean, the, the, the ability to, re- to retain a roster with that stuff, with, with, with NIL and then to have two fifth year guys who are important to you. I mean, if you didn't have Malik Hall, you'd be relying on a lot of youth and, 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 and things at the four, and, and it would be a different roster. No, you would have recruited differently. You might have brought in a transfer. You might like The whole thing would be different, too. Yeah. Um, but, it, but, it, but it is sort of interesting. The last two guys that have that ability are Hogard and Sissoko. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I always forget that, 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 that Aikens does, does not. He's the first class that, that doesn't. Um, well... We'll have more coverage of MSU hoops uh, leading into the the Tennessee game, um, and uh, I will have a, a column on the relationship between Rick Barnes and Tom Izzo, which goes back you know uh, thirty five years and is is has some some interesting moments. And um, Chris will have coverage of the Tennessee game this weekend. I will actually be in Portland, Maine, um, at my grandmother's hundredth birthday party so happy birthday uh yeah it'll be fun that's it'll awesome be, it, it's it's uh you don't turn 100 100 every day and not many people make it there so thought it was important to do that and um that's that's what that's what someone i know would call uh good life balance good life balance. to be honest though it, had we been able to predict certain things 
I, we would have the entire event was scheduled on a Sunday originally, so I could make the Minnesota football game and try to get there and fly out. And I'm not going to that either uh, because the football team has been, um, you know, I'm still going to do a quick takes column from afar, but that's it. But the, uh, but had we known the Tennessee thing was going to happen, we might have done the thing on a Saturday because I, I really want to watch that Tennessee game, I, and I, I guess I'll record it and watch it later because that will be on btn for those who were frustrated by it being on btn plus yeah well family yesterday. family stuff is important and it is it is you know i you know you we both kind of learned that over the course of the last few years that you know you, you need to take time for that and you know kind of using that as a little bit of a a transition um i wrote about the michigan state football coaches today uh went uh, for thursday in the free press and what they're dealing with right now is a different kind of thing with their families because their careers are in limbo and their family's futures are in limbo and the program's in limbo, you know, along with it. But I think sometimes people forget the human element that comes along with not just college sports. I think all sports in general, pro sports, even down to the high school level. Sometimes you just look at people as mythical entities that only exist in that scope on on a court on a field whatever it might be but you know juggling the real world things and the real life things with the realities of the profession i think is it's a challenge for a lot of people but particularly for coaches who live in a transient world and have to drag their families from one town to the next sometimes year after year and that's that's tough i mean that's a tough thing some of these guys move like ten times in a career, with, and and look, they sign up for it, and they'll tell you that that's part of the yeah. deal. Uh, you know, if you're gonna if you're in a coaching life, you're not gonna have very rarely do you get what like D'Antonio's staff had with stability, where kids can grow up and do kindergarten through graduation in one town, and you know, and, and spouses sign up for that. They know that's part of the deal. The kids, you know, that they get taken along for the ride, and that, I'm sure those are rough moments. Um, it, it, it at times, I think what makes this year particularly hard too is that. It wasn't a year you anticipated. Some years, you're on a staff, you know the staff's on the hot seat, things could go either way. This was not a year these guys came into thinking this was their last year in East Lansing. The new guys on the staff, this wasn't a year they took this job thinking, you know, this was a, had to be a one-year deal, so to speak, And, and but that's, that's going to be the reality. The real question, my friend, is, is Michigan staff going to be going through the same thing? Unbelievable. I mean, think about where we were a week ago at this time getting ready to preview the Michigan-Michigan State game. And we were talking about the Michigan buzzsaw. They had scored 50-plus points in two straight games, 45-plus in three straight games. Could they do it again? I I, I think I even said, well, this one thing we know is they won't score 119 points to be the most in the rivalry. Um, That said... That one nineteen to nothing and forty nine to nothing uh, changed the eras, and it's probably pretty close to the same. But before that, um, and you know the the allegations that that were levied uh, against the Michigan program were very nebulous, and we didn't know a lot about it a week ago. We knew that, that our our compadre Brendan Quinn had mentioned that Michigan State discussed internally not playing that game well as the details have come out over the course of the last few days and 
seemingly by the minute or hour. Um, I don't know. I mean, you know, I don't know if that staff's going to be there for Michigan because they're pretty damning allegations and they're pretty deep allegations. And I'm also kind of rethinking, did Michigan State make the right call to play that game knowing or did they know the real breadth of, of, of these allegations that are out there in terms of scouting, in terms of a database, in terms of a budget? I mean, there's I, maybe they didn't know all of that. They probably didn't know the full extent, but also I, I think they do make the right call. You, if you, if you, if you, first of all, it looks bad in a situation like Michigan forever will get grief for the the quote unquote COVID outbreak, which I'm not saying wasn't legit, but like when they didn't play Ohio State in 2020, yeah. when it would have gone would have gone horribly for them, and they they you know they've and and you know what Michigan if this is about your student athletes. When Michigan basketball decided not to play games that year, when Michigan football ducked out of that game, like you're making the right call for your school. It may not be what other schools do, but you're making the right call for your kids. Uh, I'm not saying it's the right call in terms of competition, but it, it might be the right call for your kids. But the, um, I, I think you just take so much grief if you don't play that game. And your kids want to play that game. You're, you're, you only get so many of these a year. You only get so many of these rivalry games, so many moments. Now It's so many in a lifetime. Yeah, you, in hindsight, you lose forty nine nothing. You think, well, but you know, maybe that wasn't a, a lot of fun. But those those games are all so important. I think for character and growth. Like I think what happens this week is a real test of character. We'll get into the Minnesota game in a minute here. A real test of character for Michigan State, just because uh, it is. You know, last year, last week's game was a season within a season. Even coming off the Rutgers loss and the way they blew that, it was easy to focus on one week because it was the Michigan game. And now. Everything else, it's an off the radar game at Minnesota. You know, it, it, where where are their heads, and all that becomes much tougher. And, and all of this is, is is important character building that is that stinks. You got to go through it, but I, I think so. I think Michigan State made the right call playing the game. But you're right. It, it, the the more you hear about the allegations, the more it looks like it was a, a pretty good network planned network. I still love the Harlan Barnett quote, and it feels like a hundred lifetimes ago because everything has evolved so rapidly <laughs> since that game. But you know. That about not playing, he said, let's play the game. It doesn't get you until it gets you. Just remember that. It's a great line. Boy, life comes at you pretty quick, doesn't it? It's his best moment is, is, is coach, unfortunately for him right to this point. But what I mean is it was a D'Antonio-esque type yeah. line and that rivalry uh, delivered well, and, and, and he's not wrong. And so, Well, and I, I think about it this way. Like, let's compare the two scenarios of Michigan State being 2-0 and coming off the Richmond game, and then boom, the Mel Tucker bombshell drops. And, you know, there's ramifications that come emotionally with that. Michigan, now, what, 8-0, coming off the big blowout in East Lansing, boom. I mean, it's not even a boom. It's been a slow trickle since before that game. But, man, I mean, you can't look at that and say, Knowing that there's a, a chance for this staff to be broomed, um, there's the chance for the Big Ten to step in and, and say your season's done or there's whatever. I mean, we uh, we haven't seen anything of this scope, so we can't really say, well, we know this is going to be a punishment, that's going to be a punishment. I, I think that there's a lot of things, particularly I think in the gambling side, I think that's something to keep in very close 
eye on here because whether Vegas pulls their lines. Well, not just with whether Vegas pulls their lines. Were there any irregularities that happened to lead to this beforehand? I see. Um, I see. Because that's something that I mean that's a that's a big deal, and you know, in this era where now gambling is a thing, I mean. I, I, there's, this is going to be a test case if that is a possibility, but let's face it. This is, I mean, it's quickly extrapolating to what I think is probably, I mean, the, the CCNY scandal in the fifties was the one that came to my mind and that was a gambling scandal, but in terms of cheating, this, this could, I don't know. I mean, it could dwarf it maybe. Well, uh, my bank account says that gambling was a thing in 2008, but I, I will. Uh, <laughs> I, I, anyway, the uh, but so what, what's getting interesting is in the Washington Post, the latest story um, that that came out on Wednesday is you know among the pieces of evidence the the the, the firm uh, presented um, was a detailed schedule of Michigan's planned sign stealing travel for the rest of this season, listing opponent schedules which games Michigan scouts would attend and how much money was budgeted for travel and tickets to scout each team. Like the, the web of this now, if it's, it's, it's just Connor stallion, right? If it's just him and he was doing this with maybe nobody else's knowledge or just a couple other people's knowledge, that's at this point, the best case scenario for Michigan, because while sign stealing is not something that doesn't go on and it's ridiculous, they don't have just the, you know, helmet communication, so you don't even use signs that much in, in college football. Those are all things that should be worked through because you have you have you have you have it in high school football yeah. more than you do in college. You have it in the pros. There's just no reason not to not to have it in 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 in, in college. I'll tell you why it's not there. It's because of the rampant paranoia of coaches going into opposing stadiums and worrying about opposing communications uh, departments uh-huh. stealing it. But and, and that's a reality. I mean, it, there's I mean, there's always been concern about that, anyways. Um, but, but this is, this kind of dovetails into that, why there's that rampant paranoia of coaches. If someone's always trying to play outside the gray area when it comes to technology and everything else. And I think it's okay to be trying to get an edge to push the envelope here and there. This just looks like a little more in, in, in terms of fair play, in terms of the integrity of the game. That's what Michigan's, uh, you know, doing here that's, um, or accused of that's, um, going to be a problem for them. And you, you brought up the ramifications and what this means going forward. And as you start to see that there were teams potentially that were playoff opponents that they've planned to scout or had scouted in the past beyond just the Big Ten as well. You know, the NCAA, the, the problem is here in terms of people want a quick resolution. The NCAA takes a long time on this stuff. And some of that is by design. Some of that is by, you know, the, the process of fairness. And you wouldn't want people just coming down on and making – um, you know, pronouncements and punishments based on allegations. And so if there is like a level one violation here on Michigan, they're going to have three months to um, respond. And so that takes you out of the season anyway. The question to me, if anything is going to happen in the meantime, it's going to happen from one of two places, from Michigan internally, which I, I still uh, really doubt, or from the Big Ten, which the commissioner has the authority to do so, and again, new commissioner, so you don't know, because the Big Ten was rather feckless uh, in, in previous in the last era. A new commissioner who also 
handed out the punishment to the Houston Astros for their cheating scandal when he for their stealing signs when he was with MLB. But he's also a TV executive formerly, and uh, and a guy. And, and the Big Ten is right now being run by TV, so they wouldn't want Michigan gone. College sports is being run by TV. Yes, yes. Big Ten's no worse than a lot of the places. But what I mean is, like, the, this has not helped the to have this Michigan team um, taken out of the hunt for the national title, or um, you know punished greatly or Jim Harbaugh removed does not help that. But I, I, I tend to Or think- does it, though? Because we're talking about one of 130, or in the reality yeah. of the college football playoff, one of about 12 to 15 teams. But if the, if the rumors and allegations that this group was sharing intel with other programs to try and shift the competitive balance uh, and give themselves a favorable opponent in the college football playoff. Now you're talking about all the the rest of that college football playoff brand being tarnished. And if that's the case, you can't. You got to work on worry about the greater good. If you are uh, no doubt the Big Ten, if you are the other conference commissioners, and there's going to be pressure from other conference commissioners on this too. Don't kid yourself. It's just so, you know, what we talked about the Mel Tucker thing at the beginning when you, you, you didn't know 100%, but what you said was this was really stupid by Mel Tucker, right? The, to get, put himself in this situation to risk his contract, his livelihood, his, his kids' inheritance, his his, his players' uh, you know well-being, all that stuff, really just stupid. Beyond anything else, it was dumb. The same thing applies here to Michigan. You know, it's just dumb to push the envelope to a point and, and to go above the rules to risk everything you have going for you in the program. You've got a team that has a legitimate, whether you steal signs or not, has a legitimate chance to win a national championship. They're that good. You've got a program, and and maybe some of the stuff they've done has helped them get to this point. Let's not forget that they won two games in that COVID season, and that staff, the entire staff and Jim Harbaugh, were in the hot seat going into 2021. No doubt. So that may have have, uh, precipitated this, but... Uh, at this point, you know, maybe once you get through that next year, you back off, or maybe it's working, so you think you got to keep going with it. I think part of the problem too is, you know, and, and this is this is a Jim Harbaugh issue, and it's one of his strengths and weaknesses is there is a, uh, you know, there is a smugness, and there is a the way he sort of rebuffs accusations, and I mean, he's he's just not that likable in a lot of ways, and so he is he become he. You know, and, and he plays sort of this this victim pretty well, and he plays a hypocrite pretty well at times, um, and that leads to this. He's not; he's just not. There are coaches that would be that would handle this differently, that would be more widely revered um, in the sport, and I think there are a lot of coaches and a lot of his peers in athletics who aren't huge fans, and that's why you're seeing some of this information come out so quickly because people are – other schools are like, yeah, no, screw this. I think there's some of that. I think there's also something to be said about how everything was handled with what's ridiculously dubbed the cheeseburger gate when in, yeah, rea- totally. in, re- in reality it was flaunting the rules that were enacted during COVID to prevent – and level and level the playing field so nobody got an extra advantage 
uh, in recruiting, and he violated that allegedly. That's not about a yeah. cheeseburger. It's about breaking rules. And this is this is where breaking I get rules everybody else is playing by. Right. And this is where I get into where I get frustrated with our colleagues in in around the country in print, TV, radio, whatever it might be. Everyone wants to come down and, and give this grandiose idea that the NCAA is some monolithic entity that is creating and enacting rules. No, the NCAA is nothing but the sum of its parts, meaning the NCAA and its rules are made of and by the member institutions. The NCAA operates at the behest of the university presidents and the member institutions. That is something you absolutely need to keep in mind. One program is not supposed to be above the greater good of the of the group, and that's what the NCAA is supposed to do. And this is going to be a massive test case for them to, to, to stick up for the other schools that, that try and play by those rules uh, versus a school that's alleged to have not played by those rules. Well, and they have to figure out exactly what happened, who knew, um, how deep it went, and then figure out the appropriate punishment, which none of which is, is, is all that easy. Um, and so that, that, that could take a minute. Michigan State could be, or sorry, Michigan could be the national champions uh, before that, that happens. And, and it, it just, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's going to be, it's, it's a tough spot. It's an interesting spot. There's, you know, by the time you listen to this, more may have come out. Um, now, all of that said, let's talk Michigan State, Minnesota. Well, it's it's not the reason. Yeah, it's not the reason okay. Michigan State lost forty nine nothing. Oh, that yeah, they did not. They they did. They only once got past the forty yard line of Michigan. Uh, there was not, you know, I. They did not look like there was much evidence that they were ever going to score. Um, Michigan would have scored on like six of its first. Uh, seven possessions or whatever it was, would have scored on all but one to start the game, if not for the running out of time at the end of the first half. Would have scored on every possession they had the ball except for one until they took out some of the starters and J.J. McCarthy. It was just a complete mismatch, and I don't think people want to recap that entirely. But I will say I don't know what their plan was from Michigan um, because obviously they punched in that late touchdown. But – just watching that and when things transpired, it makes me wonder if Harbaugh didn't take it out because the game started to get chippy because the Spencer Brown penalty happened. He suspended for the, the first half of the Minnesota game, um, possibly should have been suspended for longer for a play like that. Even if Michigan player hit him in the helmet and then he knocks him down and then dives at him and spears him. That can, You can't do that. You can't react like that. Um, but then there were all the late penalties, the, the Dylan Tatum penalty, the couple Derek Harmon penalties uh that's when Harbaugh pulled his starters almost as a self-preservation which makes me wonder if he wouldn't have kept if that didn't get like that it would he have kept them in and tried to run it up to 60 or 70 that's a good question and you know the other thing I want to talk to about this game and the, the thing that that it was was interesting to me is Michigan State's quarterback position because I, I want to be careful with with Kaiten Hauser and that it's his second start that he's playing against a top, top, top tier defense, that he didn't have any playmakers around him. He didn't have a line that could protect him. He didn't have any of the advantages you need as a quarterback. He's still a work in progress, as he said, too. Absolutely. Uh, But he also didn't show a single sign of like being a guy who can make something out of nothing. 
and didn't doesn't have a lot of zip on his ball. There are a lot of things kind of floated out there in the flat, and they had one you know one pick six and a couple others that could have been picked off. And like I, I you know you do not need a cannon for an arm to be a really good quarterback and a really good college quarterback. Um, and so that that is not to, to to this does not lessen whatever his ceiling can be. But it was notable um, that that didn't really exist from him. There wasn't a single throw where he went whoa. That at least gives him a shot. There's a 30-yard throw downfield on a rope that that, um, or there's a run that that that, that does that creates a, a first down when they really needed it. And then Sam Levitt comes in the game, and again, much like Kaiten Hauser earlier when he was having success and Noah Kim was in there, Sam Levitt comes in against largely the second unit and uh, of Michigan, but you can just see the the arm talent and. You see um, how quick he is with his feet. And again, there are lots of guys who have arm talent and are quick with their feet who don't become great quarterbacks. But it does raise the question, like there's been a lot of waiting and wanting for Caton Hauser. But much like with Peyton Thorne, and the, the, the argument was, well, this guy is, you know, this guy should not j- just get to be the starter because he's better, because he's more experienced. You have to look at the other guys. He's who's got the higher ceiling. Same thing with Hauser and, and Levitt. Levitt may be greener, but if his ceiling is higher, if he's if, if there's one guy in this program that you don't want to transfer and it's him at the end of this year, then you need to kind of figure that out. And I don't know if it'll keep any of these guys around, I don't, but it they need to explore that, and they're also going to have to do it delicately because he's only got two games left to play without burning a red shirt. Yeah, and he talked about that this week, and it's not something that he says he's thought of, but decisions will need to be made, so it's clearly there. Um, you know, I, I think that, you know, listen, um, how's it the last couple games, uh, you know, he, his, his longest pass um, is what, uh, thir- 21 yards against Michigan? It's not like he's extending the field vertically as long as past the year is that 61-yarder, but a lot of that was after the catch from Christian Fitzpatrick. Um, and again, at the end of a game in garbage time, you know, as the defense, as he's shifting into first-team defenses now, um, you look at that and you say, okay, well, you got you got to stretch the field vertically. And this, this Minnesota defense is pretty good that they're going to face this week. And, and Harlan Barnett, I think, was – was pretty emphatic uh, that Caden Hauser remains their starter, but yeah, I, I don't I don't disagree with you. I mean, I I know watching in camp the little bits that we got to see of practice, and you know, contrary to popular belief, we don't see full practices. We see maybe little fifteen minute glimpses, and really probably about eight minute glimpses of actual football and not stretching, uh, but. The thing that you noticed, and and I noticed that Sam Levitt had the best physical tools of the quarterback. Caton, you know, Caton Hauser uh, seemed to have some mobility and strength in the run. Uh, Noah Kim has a decent arm, but you can tell that from a physical standpoint, he doesn't have the body build of a Big Ten quarterback, and we don't know where he at is right now physically. Um, I, I think he's still dinged up. Did you find it interesting too that Caton Hauser said he hadn't talked to Noah in a while? I did. 
I did find that and interesting. That was like I, hmm. I asked him how Noah. I asked him how Noah Kim was handling, it, and he said, "Oh, he's handling it pretty well." But I haven't talked to him in a while. Well, you're in a quarterback room together. Why? Why not? Yeah, yeah. But um, but you you know, even going into the year, you could tell that this is why I asked Noah Kim early in you know camp. I said, "How much have you put on any weight?" And he didn't say he did. And that's kind of a warning sign when you start going against the power five competition and you know that's that's an issue but i i thought sam levitt just in the glimpses that we saw in camp definitely had the closest to the the big 10 style quarterback or some of the better quarterbacks that we've seen uh over the course of the years looks a lot closer to the type of product that michigan state has had at quarterback in terms of arm strength now this is a kid who got there in june so i don't know i mean you know i asked him about it and he'd initially been committed to washington state which if you're playing the coaching search bingo at home keep that in mind um if if somehow washington state's coach who has been rumored ends up in east lansing maybe that's a way to keep kate and hauser uh but um you know he, he was committed to washington state decommitted didn't have the time to do the academics and and he had not been planning to enroll early and so he he went through his high school basketball season last year and then didn't get to campus until june so that put him behind the other guys yeah um which you know if he has a spring who knows what what the situation is but without question um this quarterback competition i think is going to continue over the last five games in some way, shape, or form. Um, you know, maybe Caden Hauser seizes it. Maybe Sam Levitt gets a chance and runs with it. I don't know. And the question is, does any of it matter? Because at the end of the year, both these guys could leave. Both of them could have offers elsewhere. Now, my, my sense is if, if you're at a place like Michigan State and you're firmly going to be the starter, you feel like you are, then maybe you stick around. And that probably means more with Caden Hauser. Because my guess is Sam Levitt, much like Connor Cook with Andrew Maxwell, knows he's the most talented guy. Like you know it when you're out there, you know you're the and so you probably don't. You probably think if I'm here, I'm going to eventually win this job. I bet you Sam Levitt thinks that, and uh, I don't know what Kate Hauser thinks about uh, about the competition. It'll be interesting in Minnesota uh, because the next two games, Minnesota and then Nebraska, are against teams that are, you know, a little more uh, just a, a fair fight than Michigan, so to speak. Um, and uh, Minnesota does not do anything all that well <laughs> so it's a really average team well I don't know if I'd say average they're they're a slightly above average defensive team yeah. and a way below average offensive team to to the point where they're one of the nation's worst in a lot of categories and the problem is with their defensive numbers is part of it is they played Nebraska and Iowa like they play in the Big Ten West so you never really know defensively how good they are versus you know what what's happening <laughs> with who they're playing so this is an opportunity for Michigan State it'll be about where their heads are if Michigan State's heads are right they will be in this football game and they couldn't finish against Rutgers they couldn't finish against Iowa uh we'll see if the, it we'll see if it's if it's any better here's your stat for the for this game Graham yeah uh Minnesota we've talked about Michigan State how well they've played on third down but struggled on fourth down on defense Minnesota ranks 120th in third down percentage defense, giving up 46.2%, and 123rd in fourth down, giving up 75%. 
Yeah. They, they're not stopping things. That's if they, if anything is going to build this confidence to this offense, it's to get something rolling. And this is the opportunity they have. What is your prediction? What do you think will happen? Boy, I've been so entrenched in following the ongoing soap opera down in Ann Arbor. I haven't really given this uh, too terrible much thought, but I do think this is going to be a competitive game. Um, I think this is going to be a game where Michigan State is going to try and and pound the ball. Um, they're going to try and, and get some things done uh, w- with their offense for once. And Wasn't that the goal every week? Yeah. I, I mean, <laughs> I, I think they've got some opportunities here, though. Is, yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. You know, I mean, if you want to do some, some things over the last five weeks, this and the Nebraska game are the two to build your confidence up. No, it's huge. Uh, is it's it going to be yeah. enough to win, especially on the road? I, I don't know. I haven't really. I I think it's going to be really competitive. Give me give me a preliminary score. You can change your score for the free press if you had to guess right now. Just give me a score. If I had to guess right now, um, I think my initial thought going into this was MSU nineteen to thirteen. Okay, so I thought MSU was going to get blown out this week. At one point, I thought after this, after last week, but even before I saw the game, I thought this was the game where it would start to unravel. But I've thought that all year, and, and the more you, you're around these MSU guys, and so I, I don't think this team is going to quit. The guys who have stuck around, there's there's too much pride at stake. I think they badly need a win. They badly want to win. If you were to win the next two weeks, get to four and five, you know, look, that your season's probably not going anywhere still, but what you're at least you feel better about yourself going into Columbus, and that's not going to go well. But then if you win at Indiana, at least you're playing your final game of the season for something. Your entire season is with something on the line. And I think uh, a win this week is 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 paramount to that happening. I, I, I will say that, that like from my initial prediction that I've had on Sunday, um, losing Simeon Barrow to the transfer portal yeah. and done for the year – with with this team is going to be a problem. He he you know he's a guy that in the middle has played through some injuries, played tough, played hurt, and to not have that um, to be down, um, you know him and now they've got some depth there, but not a lot. Um, that's I think gonna that, that could change this kind of a game. Give me Michigan State to lose. Um... Something like, you know, nineteen to sixteen, and uh, and that range, because I think the problem for MSU is that not finishing games, not closing teams out, is part of their DNA at this point. Until they prove otherwise, I'm not going to pick them to win a road game, even though I think they're every bit as good as Minnesota, and and maybe better. This is a big game for Kaden Hauser. I think it's 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 a big game for, um, you know. It's a big game for them to. They, they, I don't know how many more body blows they can take, um, yeah. and, uh, and and I think this is an opportunity to 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 change the vibe a little bit. And and you know it may not feel like a big thing, but it, it, it would be uh, to them. Uh, as I mentioned, um, we'll have complete coverage, most of it from from Chris uh, in Minneapolis. We'll be there. I'll have some quick takes, but it'll be uh, be a different kind of weekend uh, for me and um, coverage of of the. Uh, Tennessee basketball game and then um, we're getting close to regular season hoops we're just like a little more than a week away from uh, regular season hoops and that'll be uh, that'll be a lot of fun um, 
We also need to start, you know, I think we're going to start having Nate Bot on to talk some hockey here and there, just do a segment or two with him. They play at Boston College. That's a Thursday night, Friday night game this week on the road. I actually thought about going out there once I knew I was going to Maine for this um, for this 100th birthday party. I was like, ah, just go to Boston. If, if it had been a Friday, Saturday night series, I might have might have tried to do so. But I think that's an important series. Number three team in the country. You find out a little bit about where Michigan State hockey is. And so maybe we'll have Nate on next week um, for a segment to talk about uh, that as well. Um, for Chris, for myself, please rate, subscribe. Five stars is best. Um, but you can write whatever whatever comment you, uh, you so choose. Um, this has been a production of the Lansing State Journal, Detroit Free Press, and USA Today Network. Thanks for listening.